This is podcast number 199 for the Well-Educated Mother's Heart. Hi, I'm Marlene Peterson, and today I want to talk about the women of the American Revolution. This month, while we're studying the American Revolution, we justifiably learn the stories of General Washington, Lafayette, Alexander Hamilton, General Knox, and General Green, and so many other brave men who fought for our liberty. But where are the stories of the women, you ask? Well, among the treasures gifted me by the friend I mentioned in a recent post is a book entitled Women of the American Revolution by Elizabeth F. Ellett, originally published in 1845. In gathering this story, she searched for unpublished letters and diaries and interviewed descendants of the Revolutionary Era women. Here are familiar names like the widow of General Montgomery and the wives of General Knox and Green, of John Hancock and Dr. Warren, one of the first to be widowed and who wrote to Janet Montgomery, the sensibility of soul, the pathos of grief so strongly marked in your letters have convinced me that the brave Montgomery had a partner worthy of his character. And of course, there's Mary Washington, but most of the names have been forgotten. Mary Draper, Sarah Hull, Harriet Ackland, Rebecca Franks, but whose contributions are no less worthy of note. Unfortunately, the book isn't on Internet archives, at least not yet, but it looks like there are some republished versions out there if you look around. For now, I'd like to pay tribute to them by reading to you the introduction to this wonderful book. All Americans are accustomed to view with interest and admiration the events of the Revolution. Its scenes are vivid in their memory and its prominent actors are regarded with the deepest veneration. But while the leading spirits are thus honored, attention should be directed to the source whence their power was derived, to the sentiment pervading the mass of the people. The force of this sentiment, working in the public heart, cannot be measured, because amidst the abundance of material for the history of action, there is little for that of the feeling of those times. And as years pass on, the investigation becomes more and more difficult. Yet, it is both interesting and important to trace its operation. It gave statesmen their influence and armed heroes for victory. What could they have done but for the home sentiment to which they appealed, and which sustained them in the hour of trial and success? They were thus aided to the eminence they gained through toils and perils. Others may claim a share in the merit, if not the fame of their illustrious deeds. The unfading laurels that wreathed their brows had their root in the hearts of the people and were nourished with their lifeblood. The feeling which wrought thus powerfully in the community depended, in great part, upon the women. It is always thus in times of popular excitement, who can estimate, moreover, the controlling influence of early culture? During the years of the progress of British encroachment and colonial discontent, when the sagacious politician could discern the pretentious shadow of events yet far distant, there was time for the nurture in the domestic sanctuary of that love of civil liberty, which afterwards kindled into a flame and shed light on the world. The talk of matrons in American homes was of the people's wrongs and the tyranny that oppressed them 
till the sons who had grown to manhood with strengthened aspirations towards a better state of things and views enlarged to comprehend their invaded rights stood up and prepared to defend them to the utmost patriotic mothers nursed the infancy of freedom their counsels and their prayers mingled with the deliberations that resulted in a nation's assertion of its independence they animated the courage and confirmed the self-devotion of those who ventured all in the common cause they frowned upon instances of coldness or backwardness and in the period of deepest gloom cheered and urged onward the desponding they willingly shared inevitable dangers and privations relinquished without regret prospects of advantage to themselves and parted with those they loved better than life not knowing when they were to meet again it is almost impossible now to appreciate the vast influence of woman's patriotism upon the destinies of the infant republic we have no means of showing the important part she bore in maintaining the struggle and in laying the foundations on which so mighty and majestic a structure has arisen history can do it no justice for history deals with the workings of the head rather than the heart and the knowledge received by tradition of the domestic manners and social character of the times is too imperfect to furnish a sure index we can only dwell upon individual instances of magnanimity fortitude self-sacrifice and heroism bearing the impress of the feeling of revolutionary days indicative of the spirit which animated all and to which in its various and multiform exhibitions we are not less indebted for national freedom than to the swords of the patriots who poured out their blood tis true cleander says a writer in one of the papers of the day no mean merit will accrue to him who shall justly celebrate the virtues of our ladies shall not their generous contributions to relieve the wants of the defenders of our country supply a column to emulate the roman women stripped of their jewels when the public necessity demanded them such tributes were often called forth by the voluntary exertions of american women their patriotic sacrifices were made with an enthusiasm that showed the earnest spirit ready on every occasion to appear in generous acts some gave their own property and went from house to house to solicit contributions for the army colors were embroidered by fair hands and presented with the charge never to desert them and arms and ammunition were provided by the same liberal zeal they formed themselves into associations renouncing the use of teas and other imported luxuries and engaging to card spin and weave their own clothing in mecklenburg and rowan counties north carolina young ladies of the most respectable families pledged themselves not to receive the addresses of any suitors who had not obeyed the country's call for military service the needy shared the fruit of their industry and economy they visited hospitals daily sought the dungeons of the provost and the crowded holds of prison ships and provisions were carried from their stores to the captives whose only means of recompense was the blessings of those who were ready to perish many raised grain gathered it made bread and carried it to their relatives in the army or in prison accompanying the supply with exhortations 
never to abandon the cause of their country. The burial of friends slain in battle or chance encounters often devolved upon them, and even enemies would not have received sepulture without the service of their hands. When the resources of the country scarcely allowed the scantiest supply of clothing and provisions, and British cruisers on the coast destroyed every hope of aid from merchant vessels, when to the distressed troops their cup of misfortune seemed full to overflowing, and there appeared no prospect of relief except from the benevolence of their fellow citizens, when even the ability of these was almost exhausted by repeated applications, then it was that the women of Pennsylvania and New Jersey, by their zealous exertions and willing sacrifices, accomplished what had been thought impossible. Not only was the pressure of want removed, but the sympathy and favor of the fair daughters of America, says one of the journals, operated like a charm on the soldier's heart, gave vigor to exertion, confidence to his hopes of success, and the ultimate certainty of victory and peace. General Washington, in his letter of acknowledgment to the Committee of Ladies, says, The army ought not to regret its sacrifices or its sufferings when they meet with so flattering a reward as in the sympathy of your sex nor can it fear that its interests will be neglected when espoused by advocates as powerful as they are amiable. An officer in camp writes in June 1780, The patriotism of the women of your city is a subject of conversation with the army. Had I poetical genius, I would sit down and write an ode in praise of it. Burgoyne, who on his first coming to America, boasted that he would dance with the ladies and coax the men to submission, must now have a better understanding of the good sense and public spirit of our females, as he has already heard of the fortitude and inflexible temper of our men. Another observes, We cannot appeal in vain for what is good to that sanctuary where all that is good has its proper home, the female bosom. How the influence of women was estimated by John Adams appears from one of his letters to his wife. I think I have sometimes observed to you in conversation that upon examining the biography of illustrious men, you will generally find some female about them in the relation of mother or wife or sister to whose instigation a great part of their merit is to be ascribed. You will find a curious example of this in the case of Aspasia, the wife of Pericles. She was a woman of the greatest beauty and the first genius. She taught him, it is said, his refined maxims of policy, his lofty imperial eloquence, nay, even composed the speeches on which so great a share of his reputation was founded. I wish some of our great men had such wives. By the account in your last letter, it seems the women in Boston begin to think themselves able to serve their country. What a pity it is that our generals in the northern districts had not Aspasias to their wives. I believe the two Howes have not very great women for wives. If they had, we should suffer more from their exertions than we do. This is our good fortune. A smart wife would have put Howe in possession of Philadelphia a long time ago. The venerable Major Spaulding of Georgia writes, in reply to an application to him for information respecting the revolutionary women of his state, 
I am a very old man and have read as much as anyone I know, yet I have never known and never read of one, no, not one, who did not owe high standing or a great name to his mother's blood or his mother's training. My friend Randolph said he owed everything to his mother. Mr. Jefferson's mother was a Randolph, and he acknowledged that he owed everything to her rearing. General Washington, we all know, attributed everything to his mother. Lord Bacon attributed much to his mother's training. And will anyone doubt that even Alexander believed he owed more to the blood and lofty ambition of Olympia than the wisdom or cunning of Philip? The sentiments of the women towards the brave defenders of their native land were expressed in an address widely circulated at the time and read in the churches of Virginia. We know, it says, that at a distance from the theater of war, if we enjoy any tranquility, it is the fruit of your watchings, your labors, your dangers. And shall we hesitate to evince to you our gratitude? Shall we hesitate to wear clothing more simple and dress less elegant while at the price of this small privation we shall deserve your benedictions? The same spirit appears in a letter found among some papers belonging to a lady of Philadelphia. It was addressed to a British officer in Boston and written before the Declaration of Independence. The following extract will show its character. I will tell you what I have done. My only brother I have sent to the camp with my prayers and blessings. I hope he will not disgrace me. I am confident he will behave with honor and emulate the great examples he has before him. And had I twenty sons and brothers, they should go. I have retrenched every superfluous expense in my table and family. Tea I have not drunk since last Christmas, nor bought a new cap or gown since your defeat at Lexington. And what I never did before, have learned to knit, and am now making stockings of American wool for my servants. And this way do I throw in my might to the public good. I know this, that as free I can die but once, but as a slave I shall not be worthy of life. I have the pleasure to assure you that these are the sentiments of all my sister Americans. They have sacrificed assemblies, parties of pleasure, tea-drinking and finery to that great spirit of patriotism that actuates all degrees of people throughout this extensive continent. If these are the sentiments of females, what must glow in the breasts of our husbands, brothers, and sons? They are as with one heart determined to die or be free. It is not a quibble in politics, a science which few understand that we are contending for. It is this plain truth, which the most ignorant peasant knows and is clear to the weakest capacity, that no man has a right to take their money without their consent. You say you are no politician. Oh, sir, it requires no Machiavellian head to discover this tyranny and oppression. It is written with a sunbeam. Everyone will see and know it, because it will make everyone feel. And we shall be unworthy of the blessings of heaven if we ever submit to it. Heaven seems to smile on us, for in the memory of man never were known such quantities of flax and sheep without number. We are making powder fast and do not want for ammunition.
from all portions of the country thus arose the expression of women's ardent zeal under accumulated evils the manly spirit that alone could secure success might have sunk but for the firmness and intrepidity of the weaker sex it supplied every persuasion that could animate to perseverance and secure fidelity the noble deeds in which this irrepressible spirit breathed itself were not unrewarded by persecution the case of the quakeress deborah franklin who was banished from new york by the british commandant of for her liberality in relieving the sufferings of the american prisoners was one among many in our days of tranquillity and luxury imagination can scarcely compass the extent or severity of the trials endured and it is proportionately difficult to estimate the magnanimity that bore all not only with uncomplaining patience but with a cheerful forgetfulness of suffering in view of the desired object the alarms of war the roar of the strife itself could not silence the voice of woman lifted in encouragement or in prayer the horrors of battle or massacre could not drive her from the post of duty the effect of this devotion cannot be questioned though it may not now be traced in particular instances these were for the most part known only to those who were themselves actors in the scenes or who have lived in the midst of them the heroism of the revolutionary women has passed from remembrance with the generation who witnessed it or is seen only by faint and occasional glimpses through the gathering obscurity of tradition let me just repeat we have no means of showing the important part she bore in maintaining the struggle and in laying the foundations on which so mighty and majestic a structure has arisen history can do it no justice for history deals with the workings of the head rather than the heart mothers you are the heart of all that happens in our world never underestimate the work you are doing within the walls of your own homes bye bye see you next time